You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I uh, was writing about a week ago, just right up in that corner of the building, right up there. <laughs> and I was uh, typing. When I say write, I don't write like this. Um, I just type. But anyways, I was doing that, and I, I was working on a book, and I started talking about the prodigal son. And the Lord gave me this, this really powerful word, and I'm going to share it with you guys uh, tonight. And I believe it's a prophetic word or a picture of what's getting ready to happen in the earth. And I'm really, really excited about what God's doing. This is an incredible time to be alive. I think I said this last week that this is the best time to be alive in the history of the world. There are, there are prophets and there are the, you know, the saints of old and the people of old and the patriarchs of old that are in heaven. I believe this. They're in heaven and they're watching a timeline of what's happening in the earth, and it is of biblical proportion, and they're able to see. I believe this. I can't give you proof of this, but this is Kentology. I believe that they're able to look and see about what's getting ready to happen, and I think the Lord is saying to us, I want your eyes to be opened up to see what's happening in the earth because, see, we can see a lot of the darkness that's going on, and I got news for you. Get prepared because it's going to get darker. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on, and there's a lot of rotten stuff that's going to continue to go on. I believe that America is going to continue to do some amazing things. But at some point, America probably, if the Lord tarries, won't be what it is. But the church will always be what it is, except only greater and greater measure. I'm telling you, this is the best time to be alive and in the church of the Lord Jesus, in the history of the church. It is, it is awesome. And one of my favorite passages is in Matthew uh, it's my favorite, I can't even remember, 16, Matthew 16, uh, where it talks about that and the gates of hell will not prevail. And the Lord was speaking to me the other day and, and uh, just about the fact that, you know, you know, gates are a defensive mechanism. And I've, I've believed for a long time that the church is supposed to be so powerful that we storm the gates of hell. I've heard people talk about ra- we need to raise hell. Well, R-A-Z-E means to tear down, right? And so I believe in raising some hell. Praise God. And we're called to do that. But here's the thing is that even though that's true, I also believe it's true that if people have a choice between uh, a hellacious lifestyle and going into the kingdom, what we have to offer should look much more appealing than what hell has to offer. And I think part of the reason that we can destroy, part of the way that we can destroy hell is that what we have is just so much better that people actually want what we have. Jesus said that, that they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And I believe the glory of the end-time church, you're part of the end-time church. You need to know that. You are part of the end-time church. And you say, well, is Jesus going to come in my day? I mean, if you just look at all the things that are going on, you realize that they just sent... Uh, I think it was, I think four cows, heifers or whatever to uh, Israel, to Jerusalem. And, and, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's in preparation because they've got plans to rebuild the temple, right? And so, uh, and I'm, I'm not an, a huge end time guy. Well, I believe in end time events and I, and I read and, and all of that, but I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an in-depth scholar on it is what I'm trying to say. But I know this, that there's going to come a time when the Antichrist will sit on the, the throne of God in the temple in Israel. And he'll take up his seat as if he's something special, and then Jesus is going to come and kick his butt, and everything's going to be over at some point. It's going to be really awesome. And we're going to get to see it and be a part of all of that. I mean, literally, that's go- we are going to get to watch Jesus in the battle of Armageddon destroy all the enemies of the Lord. And we get to, we get to witness all of that. It's for real going to happen. It's for real going to happen, and we're going to be a part of it. It's just, it's awesome. Uh, but anyway, so we've got, there's an order for the Antichrist to come and sit on the, the throne. Is this how you guys understand this? He's going, to, he's going to come and take up and say, that's my spot, and I'm going to sit there. 
And in order for him to do that, that has to be there, which means the temple has to be built. Well, the fact that they're bringing cows into Jerusalem, I don't know what's special about these cows. I don't know. I'm not into all that stuff. But the fact that they're bringing them there says that they're thinking about rebuilding the temple. They've already got plans to do it. We are living in the, the end times, the last days or the end times, the latter part, whichever one's the last, the latter days, last days, end times, whatever. We're there. We are there. So I'm saying all this for a purpose. We have to just come to this place to where we give ourselves a good shaking and we wake up and realize where we are at in the timeline of the history of the world and the history of the church. It's awesome. It's incredible. And, and I believe, this is what the Lord showed me when I was, I was writing last week and it just became so strong on my heart. And the Lord began to show me that in this great awakening, because there is, we are on the precipice which I don't even know what that means, but it's somewhere towards the beginning. I don't know if it started yet or if we've already started. I've heard many prophets say that we've started. Uh, but I believe we're right there on the brink of another great awakening in our nation. I believe it with everything in me. When I got baptized in the Holy Ghost when I was 18 years old, a lot of things happened to me. But one of the things that stirred in me was I had this hunger and this desire to contend for revival. And I'm not contending against God as if God doesn't want to send it. God wants us to be revived uh, more than we want to be revived. He cares more about this nation and about world and about lost people and about the church than we could ever understand. And so we're not contending with God to do something, but what we are contending against is the powers of darkness. We're contending against lies. We're contending against religion. We're contending against wrong things so that the church can step in to be what she's supposed to be. Because the church is the change agent in the earth. But if the church isn't standing in the right place, if it's not believing the right things, if it's not preaching the right gospel, it can't do the things that God's called it to do. And so we're living in a time where God is, is resurrecting her church, if you will. He's bringing it back to life and making it be everything that he designed and desired for it to be. Jesus is the master architect of his church. And when he designs something, he's looking for people to cooperate with him. And if people will cooperate with him, he will have his glorious church. And see, when I talk about a glorious church, it's, there are lots of benefits that are, that are a part of being a, a part of God's church and a part of the kingdom. But it's more about the spiritual uh, package that the Lord is restoring in the hearts of us who are established in understanding of who we really are in him. So, it, yeah, it includes buildings, it includes great wealth, it includes all this stuff, but really what it is is people taking up their spot in the place that God has called them in the earth to literally, actually, truly make change in their day and see people come into the saving knowledge of Jesus and see entire regions transformed. How many prophecies have we heard over the decades of this region's going to be shaken, it's going to be changed, and then nothing? This one's going to be shaken and changed, and then nothing. And we've, I mean, I know for me, there was years where I didn't even want to hear any prophecy anymore because I heard so much and didn't see it. I thought either it's false or I'm just not going to go there anymore because I get my hopes up and then they get dashed. And I'm not saying they were false. I believe that they're accurate. But it's almost like, you know, prophecy is so important because it's like, it's like building blocks in the spirit. And if we don't cooperate and say what God says, he can't do what it is that he needs to have done. And so we have to be willing to simply say what we see that God is revealing and what he's saying. It's our job to obey him, to release it, and to walk. And it's God's job to make the thing come to pass. But I believe with everything in me that in my day that I am going to see tremendous things and I'm going to contend for God's best in the earth. I'm contending for God's best in Perryville and in Bonterre and in my home and in your home and in our lives. I don't want to settle for halfway. I don't want to settle for mediocre. God hasn't called us to live that way. He hasn't called us to live that life. I cannot understand how, all right, Jesus, help me. I can't understand, I'll just say it nicely, how people can go to church and they, many of them love God. And they just go and they, they just, they're just there. And I guess a lot of it depends on leadership. And we need some strong, robust, faith-filled, on-fire, set-apart leaders who will just get, get the heart of God and just run with it. I guess that's what we're missing. But I can't understand going and sitting and not changing, not growing, not believing, not advancing. We're a territory-taking people. God has always called his people to take territory. You know, in the garden, Adam and Eve were his first people. And what was the thing he said? He said, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion. And really what he was saying is start in the garden, 
but then take over the whole world. As you multiply and as you make people after you physically, as you make uh, uh, generations of people, you're going to inhabit the entire earth. Well, sin came in, messed everything up, but you know that God still has a people. He still, he always has a remnant. And so then there was all this, this time that went by. God was still working with people. But then Abraham showed up on the scene, and God said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing so that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you know, Abraham had to contend, and he didn't do very well for a little while. He, that's where Ishmael and Hagar came in, and just, you know, some things got messy. But ultimately, Abraham's end was really, really strong. And I like that because how many of y'all can relate to maybe having some beginning that wasn't what you wanted it to be, but you've got breath in your lungs. You're seated, you're seated here right now. That means that God's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. And your, your end is going to be strong. Your end is going to be of faith. And your end is going to be of something of heavenly biblical proportion that you will make a difference for the kingdom of God in your life here on this earth. God has called you to that. Men and women of God, you are called to it. You are not called to be uh, pew sitters or even just chair sitters. You're called to rise up, be filled with the Spirit of God, be pressed into the Spirit of God, be in connection with heaven. I like what, what Jesus said to, uh, to Nathaniel, and he told him, he said, he said that you're going to, oh my God, he said you're going to see, and I think Nathaniel was probably a prophet, but at least he was a, a prophetic guy. And he's, Jesus told him, he said, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so for whatever reason beyond what we understand from reading the Bible, Nathaniel had the ability, according to what Jesus prophesied over him, that he was going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Do you realize what you and I are? We are little Christs. We are not a natural people. We are a supernatural people come from a land far away called God's kingdom to bring the reality of his kingdom to this earth. And even if you can't see it, and there are some that can, but even if you can't see it, you need to understand this, men, men and women of God. You have angels that are ascending and descending from heaven, caring about your bidding and your business according to the word of God. If your business is in line with God's business, then you have angels that are doing things at your bidding if your bidding is the Father's bidding. Sleep on that one tonight. You have, you have angels that are caring about spiritual business. My God, that's incredible. And you say, well, I, I'm not sure if I believe that. You need to believe that. You need to believe that. There is so much more going on with, with what we can't see than what we can see. All of this is very, very real to us because we, we primarily operate in the natural realm. And that's okay. God made us with bodies and, you know, we're operating in the natural realm. That's fine. But we need to see that there's more going on behind uh, behind the scene than what, are, what we can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And you say, why is this so important? Because for people that are willing to go beyond what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel and press into God, those are the ones that have the Spirit of God reveal the things of God to them and walk in the things of God. I want to see miracles. I want to see entire families. I want to see entire regions. I want to see all kinds of people everywhere shaken with the power of God, transformed. I'm not just looking for a Holy Ghost meeting. I'm looking for transformation happening with people. And I'm no different than you. I've had to come to a place to where I'm willing to look in the mirror and say, God, uh, you know what you have to work with. I know what I've got to work with. I don't think it's much, but I'm willing to give it to you. I'll give you my breath. I'll give you my thought life. I'll give you my family. I'll give you everything about me, and you can do anything that you want to do. And to the measure that I've been willing to get out of the way is the measure that God can use me. To the measure that you can get out of the way is to the measure that God can use you. So we just come back to this place and say, Lord, open my eyes. Help me see what the true reality is going on around your reality. And I know we have a natural life. We have to take care of ourselves and our family and work our job. I get all that. But what I'm saying is in the midst of it, and Jesus knows that we're in the midst of that, he's saying, will you see things through my eyes? Will you see things the way that I see them? And 
I don't claim to be a prophet, but I do claim to be one that hears the voice of God. I have visions. God shows me things, and I know what's coming. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said that in this great awakening, that there are going to be three awakenings within this great awakening. There are going to be three awakenings within this great awakening. Let me tell you what they are, and I'm going to minister on those for a little bit here tonight. Awakening number one. Now, this is the third great awakening as far as America is concerned for sure, the third great awakening that we're coming into. And that if that sounds foreign to you, you need to start listening to the, to the right voices, to the right people, to the ones that, that are in tune with the Spirit of God. And how do you tell that they're in tune with the Spirit of God? They bear good fruit in their life. And here's the difference between, side note, between a false apostle or prophet or pastor or teacher or evangelist or even a false brethren and, and the true ones. It's not whether they're perfectly accurate or not. It's whether their motives are pure in what they're doing. Anybody can miss something. Have you missed it before? Does that make you a false brethren or a false sister? <laughs> no. It just means that you missed it. Now, if, you're, if your motives are impure in what you're doing, that's the thing. I don't have time to get into this, but that's the thing that would make you false. So I'm saying that to say this, that he, being able to listen to voices and people that are, uh, now I think that especially when it comes to prophets, I mean, there's grace there. They shouldn't miss it very much, but there is grace there when they don't see things perfectly. And sometimes prophets and things will give words and there's, uh, there's depth perception to it. So they'll see something, and it might look like it's going to happen next month when indeed it's going to happen five years down the road. And they don't always see that. They don't always know those things that are going on. So we have to cut each other some slack. But the Lord doesn't ever do anything unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. Whenever God does something in the earth, he reveals it to his prophets first. So... We might have to peel back a little bit and go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be willing to receive prophetic ministry and prophets and things of such. Because that's how God does things. And I don't have time to get into this, but yeah, anyways. Okay, let's move on. I have a whole message there that I want to give that I'm not going to give. So um, you guys pull a lot of different stuff. I'm like, all right, I'm on it. I'm going to go boom, 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 boom. And I get up here and I go boom, barely. And don't get past that. But in the name of Jesus, I will tonight. So, um, so praise the Lord. Here's the three awakenings that are going to happen with this, this awakening. And you can believe this or not believe this. I'm just telling you what the Lord revealed to me. And part of this is this is how, um, this is how revival, awakening, things happen within a people, within a church, with, uh, with a lost person, uh, even with a saved person who needs to go higher than the Lord. This is a, a trend that would be there in pretty much every situation. But there's three here, and the last one, and this is what's so exciting to me, the last one, and this is coming from the prodigal son, and then we're going to get into this. The prodigal son had three awakenings that, that I have seen from my studies, and the last awakening was one that he stepped into, but it's one the church has not stepped into yet. And it's an awakening of stepping into sonship, stepping into really knowing who they really, really are. And I'm going to get to that. But here's the three awakenings. Let me just give them to you. Number one um, is an awakening of reason. And what this looks like is that people will reason that there's something better. And if you remember the story with the prodigal son, we're going to read it. But it says that he was out with the pigs. Everything was bad. There was a famine in the land. He spent all that he had. And it says that when he came to himself, he said, at least in my father's house, the servants get treated better than this. Maybe I can go and be a part of that. And see, this is where the church, the people in the church, the people that are called by the name of God right now, we have to get a hold of who we really are. Because for people that are going to experience the awakening that's happening around us, they have to find something that's genuine that they can actually go to. So if they're going to have a, a come-to-themselves moment to where they lay down their truth, <clears throat> we have this whole thing going on about, like, like, I'm finding my truth. There's only one truth. It's Jesus. 
There's only one uh, there's only one plumb line for what's really true in this life. It is the word of God. There is no other truth. People can say they have their truth. Their truth, their experience, their feelings are not going to be what, set the, what will set them free. And they're finding this out. What we don't need to do is be critical. We don't need to be critical of them. We don't need to be critical of lost people. There's something, I'm going to just say this. There's something, and I'm a conservative. I'm a, I'm a Christian, then I'm a conservative. And I usually vote Republican, but I have a hard time even affiliating with Republicans very much anymore. But anyways, that's just pretty much how I, how I see things. But I found something that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Christians are conservative. But you know what? I've met a lot of nasty conservatives lately. Nasty. They claim that they've got this, this like, this is right and this is real and we're sticking with it. But instead of just standing up for what's true, they have to come against everybody else. Do you know why people believe abortion's okay? And do you know why people um, think that homosexuality is okay? And you know, all of the things that, that probably most everyone in here and watching online are against, you know why they think it's okay? It's because their hearts are darkened and they don't know the truth. Well, so when they have their awakening moment of, this isn't working for me. This isn't, this isn't going well. Where are they going to go to find truth? The people that have been criticizing them and yelling at them and screaming at them, like the one, the, the Westboro Baptist, like the only, quote, Christian I'll call out, the Westboro Baptist people, they're screaming and yelling at homosexuals, calling them faggots and all this derogatory stuff and coming down on them. Um, those people are nonsense and they need to be spiritually slapped in the face. We don't need people doing that kind of stuff. They're lost. The, the people, I think the Westboro Baptist people are also lost. But um, anyways, they don't have the love of Jesus, that's for sure. But the people out in the world that believe all the stuff that they do, that vote the way that they do, that believe the way that they do, that are pushing these agendas the way that they are, I, there is evil, flat out evil people that are behind stuff. George Soros is one. He's one of the most evil men. Uh-oh, we're on Facebook. I'm probably going to get blocked. I already have one strike against us. Anyways, thanks, Joseph Z. And no, I'm just kidding. He did. He did. He like, he didn't know when he was here. He didn't realize that, that we were live here. And uh, so I called them later and I said, hey, you guys might want to ask if you're going, going live. For some reason he missed that. And he was, he was off the chain. Anyways. Um, so, but praise the Lord. There are evil people like that guy that I just mentioned and you know, whatever. There's, there are people that are just, I mean, they are hell bent on being hellish and bringing their demonic stuff into the earth. But, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of other people that are associated with that that all they are is lost. They're just following somebody or they're following a system. They're following an ideal that seems right to them, and they don't have a cotton-picking clue about anything because they were probably raised or not raised amongst people that didn't have any plumb line for truth, and they just grew up believing whatever they believed, and they're just doing what they do, and they don't know anything. And I'm not saying that we know everything, but maybe we've got a few things figured out. What we don't need to do is become critical towards those people because why would they ever want to come here from us? Why would they ever want to come here from us? They won't. They're going to want to go somewhere when they have their aha moment of maybe there's a place where I might get accepted on some kind of level. Or first, and I, I'll always stand for truth, but I, as I'm getting older, I'm getting a little bit wiser, praise God, that I'm, I'm learning to not, I'm learning to have relaxed intensity. I know it may not sound like it tonight, but I'm, I'm learning this better to where I stay true to my values. I stay true to God's values, right? Not just my values. Stay true to what he says. But then when, when people act like knuckleheads, you just love them. You just love them because they're blinded. The God of this world, speaking of the enemy, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to the light of the glorious gospel. The reason that we walk in the gospel isn't because we're superior to other people. It's because our hearts have been illuminated. Otherwise, we would just act like a knucklehead just like everybody else. But our hearts have been illuminated to the truth of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, how good God is, the fact that he's called us and commissioned us for something so great for such a time as this. That's why we're walking the way that we're walking. That's why we're doing the things that we're doing. It's only because we've had an illumination. So what we need to pray for and believe for and contend for is that other people have an illumination so they can walk with Jesus too, amen? All right, here's the three awakenings. I didn't get past number one. Here's the three awakenings within this awakening. Before I give these, let me say that I asked the Lord, I said, y'all, okay, fine, I'll just give them to you. 
No, no, I'm going to go where I was going. <laughs> oh, um, I like to have fun with y'all. Can you uh, do the water thing for me? I need, a, I need a regular cup. Someone can remember that next time because I probably won't. Just a cup without a lid. Thank you. Cup without a lid? Yeah, just a cup. Yeah. I definitely don't want a lid on it, okay? That's what I'm saying. Easy access. So I asked the Lord, how many of y'all know that God will use um, things that are going on in the natural as signs for what he's, for what he's doing? And so I asked the Lord, and I forgot to share this this morning. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, what kind of sign is there of what you're telling me about these three awakenings within this awakening? And he said, just look at, look at baseball. And here we have it right in our own hometown, basically St. Louis. And I said, well, what are you saying? He said, the prodigal son was gone. Now, if, for those of you that don't follow baseball, that may not mean that much to you, but when Prince Albert, as he's been known as, who, who follows baseball? Who, okay, so half of you probably do. Okay. Uh, when Albert Pujols left the Cardinals. Okay, who in here knows who Albert Pujols is? Let me just, okay, most of you are out from under the rock. Good. When he left the Cardinals 10 years ago, he played 11 seasons in St. Louis, and he left the, the, uh, the Cardinals uh, 10 years ago. He was, at that time, he had the, the greatest first 11 years of any right-handed batter in the history of the game. Just in, his stats were off the charts. He moved to Los Angeles, and he played with the Angels for nine years and the Dodgers for a year, and then he came back. And the Lord, you didn't know he was back? Oh, Jesus. Listen, I'm going to need to keep you all informed a little bit better. Okay, so, because this is important where we're going. So, he comes back. And as of, I don't know if they played today. Did he hit home run today or anything? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't listen. No? Okay. Okay. So as of Saturday, he was coming up to, no, it was Friday. He was coming up. He was on 698, 698 home runs. And he was chasing that 700 mark. So this year, he moved from fifth place to fourth place, all-time home run list. This is exciting to me. But what happened is that, he moved, well, let me get back to that. He, he moved up, and he hit on Friday, he hit two home runs, and he hit the 700 mark. 700, spiritually, this is how you break it down, is you look at seven and then look at 100. Seven is like completion, perfection, that kind of thing. And 100, listen to this, 100, it can mean different things, but one of the things that it means is like hundredfold return or the full reward. The prodigal prince came back home, and now he's receiving his full reward. He's received his full reward. He had 700 home runs. Not this year, but he's reached his 700 home run mark. Amen? You're like, that doesn't seem spiritual. It's not, but it's a sign of what God is doing in the earth. I mean, yeah, in the earth, that what heaven is doing, what's manifesting in the earth. And we're coming into where we, the church, are going to have our full reward that God has promised us. Here's the three awakenings, and I'm going to get into it even more. Number one, people will, will reason um, that there is something better. That's awakening number one. Awakening number two is unexpected, undeserved, and uncommon mercy. Unexpected, undeserved, and uncommon mercy. What was this? This is when he said, well, I'm just going to go back home. And it says that the father was looking from a long ways off. And when he came in, he embraced him not as a servant but as a son. The son was expecting, and I think he was hoping for, just to be in the servant's quarters. And he was, he was probably expecting some form of punishment, but instead he got mercy bestowed upon him. Mercy upon mercy. And this is why these people, that they come out and say, God's judging America and blah, 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 all the stuff they say. I go, whoop, whoop. not. You know why I know? Because that was a bit much. But anyways, you know how I know? Is it because it says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the whole world. This is not the dispensation of God's judgment and wrath. Whenever you hear people say that, you don't have to write them off, but you need to write that word off. It's not of God. This is a time, right? Now, there are people that walk in judgments that are already in the earth. Sowing and reaping is a judgment. 
It's a judgment. It's, it's already set that if you do this thing, then this is going to happen. This is why you can have an unbeliever. There are many businessmen that are not God-fearing men that, and women that will, they claim part of their success is because they tithe. They believe in giving 10% away. Sowing and reaping will work in the earth no matter what your religious affiliation is, no matter what your spiritual status is. And so it's, you could say it like this, it's a judgment that's already in the earth that if you cooperate with it, good or bad, you'll reap the benefits of it. So when you see stuff that's happening bad to people, it, and this needs to have clear distinction, it's not that when they do something bad that now God's coming and bringing his wrath on them and bringing a curse on them. No, Jesus became a curse for us for curses everyone who hangs on a tree. He took the curse of the law upon him and we're not cursed from God anymore. But if you walk in darkness, you're going to reap the benefits of walking in darkness. And we all can attest to people that we know that, mean they're passionate about the Lord. They're reaping the benefits of walking with the Lord. And then we know other people that are just passionate about darkness and they're reaping the benefits of walking in darkness. What is that? Is that God blessing some and not others? No. It's that some have, are reaping the, 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 they're sowing to the flesh and they're of the flesh reaping corruption. And then you have other people that are sowing to the Spirit, and they're of the Spirit reaping life. So it's very important we understand that. But this is the time. We're going to see this. And here's the deal is that these first two awakenings have happened. This is what I believe, and this is where you could just take this for what it is, but I'm telling you what God showed me is that we've seen all, like, awakenings and revivals and things that people have experienced the first two. It's an aha an awakening and a reasoning of like, I better go over there because there's something at least better than what I have now. They get there and they find unexpected, uncommon, and undeserved mercy. We've had that in the earth for a long time. What we haven't had is the third one. We know about it, but we've not experienced it. The church has not walked in it, but it's going to. And it's unexpected, undeserved, uncommon favor. See, mercy is what God doesn't give you that you do deserve. Grace is what God does give you that you don't deserve. Now, God has already given his grace. I'm not saying that he's withholding anything, but I am saying that we haven't stepped into the fullness of what God has for us. If we had, then the church would be a whole lot stronger than it is right now. Agreed? There is way more that God has for us in the days to come. Let me go and let us go and read this in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Are you all with me? Good. I'm going to stop interrupting myself. Not, okay, here we go, verse 11. Uh, it says, then he said, a certain man uh, had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, which means that he worked for him, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And by the way, this was like insult to injury to the family name, because this is, this is in reference to, to Jews, and uh, Jews don't, they don't mess around with pigs, amen? It's like, they, they didn't do that. It wasn't, it wasn't kosher. So, um, you know, they weren't allowed to do that. So here you have this Jewish son, if you will. And of course, this is a parable, but I think it's reasonable that they were using the, the analogy of Jewish people. And this is, uh, you know, this son went out and not only did he waste everything the father gave him, he hooked up with uncleanness. We know the story of the prodigal son. Everybody in here has heard it, and I just gave you a little taste of it. And we're going to read the rest of it. But just think about how much mercy was coming from the father. It wasn't just that the son went and wasted it and is like, Dad, you know, you gave me 50 bucks and I lost it at the arcade or, you know, it's whatever. We've all had kids that have had money and it's like, where'd your money go? I don't know. Or they just lost it or something. It wasn't that. It was that he, he went in rebellion and said, I'm going to go and find my own way, make my own life, do my own thing. And then when it got, he hit rock bottom, even at that point, he really didn't go back to the father. He had to hit rock, rock bottom before he did that. But a rock bottom was like, well, let me go hook up, not just with, I mean, he could have been a whatever kosher animal, a, a cow or something. 
Let me, be a, let me help the cow farmer. No, he hooked up with the pig farmer to help the pigs. It was insult to injury. It would have been, it would have been devastating to the family name. Some of you all experience this with your kids or you've got siblings that have done things like this and, you know, when their kids have done these kind of things and it's like, oh my gosh, they're kind of like the black sheep of the family. Wouldn't say that, but it's like, you know, they're just doing everything wrong and it's almost kind of embarrassing a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? You got, it's like when they, because I've had people and especially in pastoring, they'll introduce me to their sibling and they'll be like, now, now they don't walk with the Lord as if I've never met anyone that didn't walk with the Lord before. It's like, it's, it's cool. Okay. They might say a cuss word. I'm like, well, People do that. You know, it's going to be okay. But it's, and that's the kind of thing that was happening here is that, that this guy, the prodigal son, he wasted everything and he was given the, 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 the family a bad name. Think about how the father responded, though. Let's go on and read this. Uh, and so in verse 16, it says, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, first awakening, he said, How many of my father's hired servants... Have bread enough to uh, bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. So he was like, "Wait a second here. Even the servants get treated better than where I'm at right now." And then he says, "I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you.' Now pay attention to every one of these words. At first he says, "I'm going to say I've sinned against you in heaven," and then the next thing he says that he's that he's going to say he's rehearsing this, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And make me like one of your hired servants. So he's got three things here. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And make me like one of your servants. And then in verse 20, and he arose and came to the father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's awakening number two. It was uncommon, undeserved an unexpected mercy that he got from the father. But listen to verse 21. And the son said to him, now he's going to rehearse what it was, or he's going to say what it was that he had rehearsed. And it says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, oh, excuse me, and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants. Now the Passion Translation says that the father interrupted him. And, I've, and, I've, and I have a commentary in, in this particular Bible that I'm reading here, and it also says something to the same thing, that the father, uh, he stopped him and interrupted him. Why? It's because the father was trying to not allow the son, he was trying to stop him from coming into agreement with how he saw himself because the father didn't see him that way. Because the part that he left off because he, caught him, because he cut him off is, let me just be as one of your servants. And immediately when he, when he came in, the father cut him off, and he says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, he made a distinction. He didn't say, okay, now that you're my servant, go and grab some things. He said, hang on a second here. And he pointed to his servants, or he addressed his servants, and said, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Why was he doing all that? He was reestablishing in his mind who he really was. And we've had, for, we've had for 15 years, 20 years, we've had a ramp up, and I'm, I thank God for it, a ramp up, an increase of ministers and teachers, people that are coming into an awakening of who they really are in Christ. And because of that, God is preparing his church to handle the increase. He's preparing his church to handle the increase. There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant of people that are willing to be <clears throat> obnoxious compared to everybody else's standards. That are willing to be bold and bodacious and radical and whatever word you want to put in there. To just do what it is that God wants and it sounded pretty crazy to a lot of people to say some of the things, I know for me, because I've had to deal with the, the fallout from it for years, of saying these things about what God says about us. And a lot of people are still stuck in their religious thinking, and they can't seem to come out of it and just believe what God says about them. And we're going to talk about the older brother here in just a second, but we gotta, we got to see something here. This was, the, this was the awakening that the prodigal son had. And 
I don't even, he wasn't really expecting it, but the, see, that's what God will do. We should expect things because we know God, but we should expect things on behalf of the people that don't know God. We should be the ones persevering and pioneering and contending in prayer and praying and preaching and laying hands on, doing all the things that we're supposed to do. We should be contending for that because the world needs it. The world needs what it is that we have. And the, the father was establishing, he was reestablishing or probably really truly establishing in the son who he was. And he said to his servants, bring the robe, and the robe represents royal identity. And so he put a, a robe on him, and I've got one, uh, one commentary that says that it was the father's robe that he put on him. Now, I'm not sure. I haven't studied that out. But either way, it was a, it was a robe that was put on him that represented his royalty, his royal identity, his position as a son in the king, in the kingdom. And then he gave him a ring, and the ring was a signet ring that gave the son permission to operate in the authority that the king had. This would be just like giving uh, one of your kids your credit card, which now they, they don't even ask me for money. They're like, Dad, can I have your card? I, mean, I feel like every day they're coming up and saying, give me your card. I need some money. And so, you know, whatever. And so, but when I do give them my card, they will go. And they basically have the authority of my bank account. Because nobody checks to see, like, are you really that person? They just take the card because they got the money, right? And uh, so they will go and they will swipe it. And essentially, they have my authority concerning my checkbook, my bank account. And they're able to do uh, business under my name because they carry something that has my authority. I have a Southwest Airlines card that, unfortunately, they found out that it has an $18,000 limit on it. Now, we don't ever put $18,000 on it, and we pay it off faithfully every month, and we earn, you know, miles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, whatever, we don't pay interest on it. But um, uh, anyways, a few times they've said, well, Dad, you could buy that, a car or whatever, because you've got $18,000 that you can... <laughs> That you could just spend. And I'm like, well, you know, I got to pay that off. And I don't have that kind of money to pay that off at the end of the month or whatever, you know. So, but that's a son that has a little bit of an idea of like, I've got something here. And I got some power with this thing. I have some authority with this thing. Well, this is what the, the father was doing with his son. He put a ring on him. Because you got to ask, why was Jesus giving this parable with these elements involved with this parable? Because he was, trying to, he was trying to illustrate that when a son comes into the father's house, there are certain things that he has just because he is the son. You have things just because, and I'll say daughter too, all right? Sonship is just a broad term, kind of like mankind. So a son or a daughter, if you are a son or a daughter of God, there are benefits that you have in the kingdom automatically just because you belong to him. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you haven't done. It doesn't matter how you started. It only matters really how you finish. It doesn't matter how bad you have messed up. You probably can't mess up any worse than what the prodigal son did. He wasted all of his inheritance. He was tied to, to all kinds of wrongs, all the wrong stuff he was tied to. And when he came back in, Oh, this is something that is going to continue to just blow people's mind as God unveils this. But there is an entire culture that's happening in our church that is a judge, in, well, yeah, in our church, but the church as a whole, that's a judgment-free culture. No punishment. You know why? Because God doesn't punish you. You might reap the consequences of your bad decisions, We've all done that, but God's not punishing you. He doesn't punish you. If he did, then he wouldn't be the God who remembers your sin no more. He wouldn't be the God that doesn't impute your sin unto you. But in fact, he's the God that throws your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he's the God that David prophesied about. That, and Paul quoted this in Romans chapter 4, and David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sins. You know what impute, impute means? It's an accounting term. It means that if you did this, then you have to pay for it here. It's kind of like taking a credit card and charging it, and because you charged it, then it gets imputed onto your account, and then later you got to pay for it. 
And what happens is that most people, they're like this prodigal son, and they come in, they've done something wrong, and they come in, and they know that they, they rack something up on the charge card spiritually. They know they did something wrong. And instead of coming in and saying, listen, Dad, I really screwed up. I really messed up really bad, and I'm going to need your help. Uh, they come in and say, whoa, 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 if I could just hang out in the corner over here, that would be cool. Because they view the Lord as one who punishes when he's not one who punishes. This is mind-blowing to Pete. This is mind-blowing to Listen, let me tell you something. Next to the Bible, the most important book that has been written, in my opinion, and I haven't read every book, but out of every book that I have read or know of, the most important book that's been written in the last 20 years, the Bible's always the most important, but it was written a lot longer ago than that. The most important book is a book called Culture of Honor. We didn't realize it, and it's by Danny Silk. If you've never read it, you need to go read it. It will, it will blow, it will, it will mess your mind up in a really good way. That sounds better than blowing your mind, so yeah, there you go. It'll mess your mind up in a really good way. We're not supposed to have a culture of, of judgment, of punishment. We feel that we need to do that. We feel like we need to punish people when they do stuff wrong. And no wonder people don't want to hang out with us. <laughs> do you like people punishing you when you do something wrong? No. And, you know, people say, well, how are they ever going to learn something? Listen, the, <laughs> the <laughs> Israel had the law for thousands of years. And they didn't learn. You know where people started learning? Is when the love of the Father was displayed on the cross through his son Jesus. And people started to learn that way a lot better. You will learn more through grace than you ever will through law. Because law brings fear of punishment. And when you do something wrong, what you're learning is that you're very afraid of the thing. You don't get empowered to overcome the thing that you need to overcome. That's what grace does. Another message for another time. Let me keep reading here. You all with me? Hallelujah. Um, all right, so listen here. It says in verse, where am I at, 22? Oh, I was talking about the ring and the robe. Yeah, the sandals. He gave him sandals because slaves during that time most likely would have been barefoot. And he said, I don't want you to get confused or anyone else to get confused with who you really are. So here's the deal. Let's finish reading this real quickly. And then we're going to talk about the son, just for the older son, the older brother. Just for a couple moments here. And so in verse 23, and it says, Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Question to ask is, why wasn't he involved with this to begin with? It's because he was in the wrong place. He didn't see himself like like his father saw him. How do we know this? Is because the next thing he says, so he called one of the servants and asked what, uh, what these things meant. Why did he ask the servant? Because he wasn't in good standing with his father, at least in his own mind. I believe he saw himself more as a servant than he did a son. He had an orphan mentality. You know what's true? Is that the church has been a place for orphans to come in, but not to step into sonship. And the way that people step into sonship is judgment-free, tons of mercy, no condemnation. And you have to help people understand what God has really done and who they are in Christ Jesus. You can't, it's not enough to just get people saved and then leave them there. And so if you have people that don't know anything, they just remain orphans. And it says in verse 27, it says, And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Man, there's the mercy of the father. He had a brat for a son. And he still, still came out and reasoned and tried to get him to come in anyways. <laughs> you understand that this is a picture of the father and people. It says, so he answered and said to his father, lo, and this is the older brother speaking. He says, lo, these many years I have been serving you. 
I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, which is a lie, but it's a pharmaceutical attitude. It's somebody that thinks like a Pharisee. It's somebody that looks at their stuff that they have to offer and says, look what I've done, God, do something for me now. And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son, you could see the bitterness that was in his heart. He didn't even say, as soon as my brother. He said, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. You know what the church has been for 2,000 years? It's been the older brother. It's been looking at what it can accomplish and what it has accomplished and saying, Lord, now bless me because of what I've done. And the reason the older brother was so jealous is because the younger brother got something for free by grace that the older brother wasn't able to get from earning. Do you know what's going to make a lot of people jealous? And it would be probably similar to how it was, I think, I wasn't there, but during the Jesus movement, as we've referred it as, you had all these long-haired, no-shoes, sandal-wearing, at-best hippies that were uh, formally drugged out, doing all of the stuff that would happen in the drug culture, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They get saved, they come into the church, and they start to experience God's best. Why? Because they did all of the, the stuff perfectly? No, they were the worst. They did all the worst stuff, but they came in and got the best. Why? Because they weren't trying to earn it. They knew they couldn't do enough to earn it. We, we, don't, we don't even know. We don't even know. And I just believe that the, the cap is coming off and more revelation is coming, but we don't even know how much religion has messed our minds up. We, we really, we really don't know. We really don't know. And you say, well, what is, what is religion? Because I have somebody that I'll say religion, and they think it's a good thing, and I'm meaning it as not a good thing. And to me, religion is Satan's plan for the church. It's, it's, it looks godly. It has some godly attributes, and it has people doing godly things, or what looks like to be godly things, good works, they're not really good works, they're dead works, because a dead work is something that people do to try to get something from God. A good work and a dead work look the exact same. You can have brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and they're both doing the exact same thing. They're, they're, they're working and they're leading people to Jesus. They're doing all this stuff. One of them is doing it because they've been blessed and God saved them and they love God and they just want to love people. And the other one's doing it because they're trying to get something from God. The one that's doing it because they love God and they just want to bless people, that's a good work. Just, they're doing the same thing, but that's a good work. The other one's doing it for, with the wrong motivation. That is a dead work. And the church has been stuck in dead works for two millennia. I'm not saying every person has. I'm not saying every move of God was. I mean, you could look through back through history and you could see some of the most incredible moves of God. But what I truly believe is that the church as a whole has not stepped into this latter awakening that this awakening that we are in is going to see this level of awakening in the church to where we really know who we are as sons and daughters. And what does that look like? That looks like people that are so confident and so expectant, and they walk with their head held high. And they've learned to overcome the accuser. And they don't believe anything that that rotten, nasty devil would ever say about them for one more second. They're able to confidently even look in the physical mirror and say, I'm blessed of God. I'm loved. See, that's the true test. Nobody really likes the way that they, I mean... Look in the mirror, stand on a scale, do the whatever it is that you do that you really don't like, do that and then say, I'm blessed of God. I'm loved of God. I'm cared for of God. 
even right after you do, you do or say something, which don't go do and say anything intentionally bad, all right? but we, we miss it. We all miss it. Even after that, a confident son and daughter isn't one who goes and says, oh, Lord, I've done this and I've done this, and I just want to come in and be in the corner of your house just so I don't have to eat the pig slop anymore. Can I just be in the corner? Can I just do a little bit of work here and make everything, you know, just kind of okay? That's somebody that doesn't know their royal identity. And see, some people would say, well, I've just, I've seen abuses that people take, you know, they take their authority and they take grace and they use it for liberty. They don't know their identity. Only a knucklehead would take all of what God's given us and go back out into the world and mess around with the world. Why would you want to do that when you've got all of the blessing and benefit in the house of God, in, in his house, in his kingdom? Why would you want to do Because you don't know who you are. You don't really know who you are. But this is what I believe, is that we're coming into a time, and it's ramping up, when the, when the true church of the Lord Jesus is rising up to be everything that he has called it to be. And we're being everything that he's called us to be because we know who we are. It's not because the system of works. It's not because we jump through all these hoops. It's not because we, we, we tithe. It's not because we do all the, and look, I'm down for doing all of the stuff. I believe in serving people and loving people and giving our lives and tithing. I believe in doing all of that stuff, but I don't do any of it to get God to love me. I do it because God loves me. I do it because I, I know that I belong to God and I'm in his kingdom and I'm blessed and I'm gonna go through this life and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do things that a, a royal son would do. I'm gonna do things that a prince would do because the truth is, is that now we're living in a time when the baseball player has come in and 700 is the complete full measure, the full reward, and we will have our full reward in Jesus. We will walk in it. We will manifest it. We will see it in the earth, and other people are going to see it. And see, this is where things have gotten a little bit off. And you've had, and I consider myself to be a preacher that believes in prosperity, and people say, well, you're a prosperity preacher. Not the guy that's looking for like 12 gold chains and seven cars and 14 houses. I'm not looking for any of that stuff. But what I am looking for is incredible wealth to come through my hands so I can do more with what God wants me to do. And so you've had people that have gotten confused about like, okay, we're going to have our full measure and, and we're going to be really wealthy and have all of this stuff. But they didn't know what to do with it. And they had a, 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 a mentality to... Uh, consume instead of give and be a blessing to other people. Everything about what we're doing should be about giving out and blessing and releasing because of who we are. I was thinking about this trunk or treat, whatever night, I forgot what night it's happening, whatever, that. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, there's, nobody's territorial with that. Nobody's, I mean, some, someone might, but there's trunk or treats. Let's have one too. Cool. Let's have one too. Cool. Why? Because you could get more people that will have more candy and whatever. And for us, we're, we're going to reach out and touch them and minister to them. But as soon as you have somebody that says, well, I feel like God's called me to start a church here. Oh, well, what are you trying to do? You trying to just gather people or are you trying to bless people? See, confident sons and daughters don't sit and worry about numbers. They don't worry about finances. They don't worry about provision. They don't worry about this, that, and the other and what people are doing. They just take up their robe and their ring and their whatever these shoes are, whatever you got to wear on your feet, and they just go through this life confident because they know who they are and who God made them and who, whose they are, who they belong to. We've not arrived there as a church as a whole. We've not arrived there. We've scratch the surface, we've got some understanding of it, but get ready because more and increase is coming. More is coming, increase is coming. And I believe this, that as more people come in, lost people come in, prodigals are gonna come in, it's going to cause a stir in the church. It's going to happen. And I know because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my dad here and, and he was part of that Jesus, the Jesus movement, I guess in a sense. And, uh, and the, it offended the institution. It offended religious folk. You know what? If you've got any religion in you, you need to be offended. We need to have some nasty, stinky, guitar-playing, long-haired, hippie, drugged-out, freaked-out, whatever people 
come in because they see something so amazing in us that they walk through our gates because we have keys to the kingdom and we open it up and we have a highway of glory that we say you can come in and be a part of what God's doing. You can find your identity. You don't have to be stuck in all the rest of the stuff. You don't have to be in the slop with the pigs. You can come in. You can be loved on. You can be blessed. You can be favored. You can have relationship with Jesus and they'll actually want it. Because we're not telling them that they have to do 48 things in order to do it right. You know how long the honeymoon period is with new believers? Eternity. I mean, people, sometimes they're like, well, there's, you know, when you come into Jesus, I mean, there's a a honeymoon period and, you know, God shows you grace, but after a while you better grow up or things, you know, he's going to be real upset with you. I mean, they don't say it like that probably. But, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, we've heard things. Said similar to that, you know, we've experienced that attitude. Listen, the grace period, the honeymoon period is from when you come in all the way throughout eternity. And see, that's that's scary to a religious mind. And you might be going, well, that scares me. Then you have a religious mind. Thank you. Because we, we have this problem to where we think that we have to, like, like lay down the rules and lay down the regulations. And, and we have order to things. There's nothing wrong with having order. But you're not supposed to have order to the point to where you control people and to the point to where you make people feel like they don't ever measure up. Look for people to mess up. Look for people to screw up. Look for them to do it wrong. That's what people do. Everybody does stuff wrong. I said I wasn't going to say this, but yesterday on, on, on my Saturday we have Saturday morning live. I did it by myself. And I was talking about how Jesus provided physical healing on the cross. And in particular, it wasn't necessarily talking about emotional healing. It was talking about physical healing. And I said, this isn't the Marvin Gaye song, emotional healing. And I'm there all by myself going live. And I'm like, actually, a song wasn't titled emotional healing. It was titled something else. And I had to like backpedal out of that whole thing. Would you? <laughs> I said, this, is what con- this is what confidence, at least a picture of what it looks like. Because, and Liz can tell you, she can tell you, please don't tell them all the stories. But uh, all the times that I, would, that I would minister and say, and I've said some stupid stuff, some, and that was one of them. Another time I was standing right here and I said, we're living in a day when <laughs> husbands can't even love their husbands. Oh, Jesus. Y'all remember when I said that? Don't you love me? Love holds no record of wrong. No, I'm just kidding. You can't forget that. That was fine. But, you know, I've got this confidence in the Lord that it's like, who can't? I mean, I'm not trying to say ignorant stuff, but you sometimes you do. When you speak for a living, you're going to say things wrong. And, you know, whatever God's called you to do, if you don't have confidence in him, and for me, I've had so many insecurities that, I mean, how many times did I get done on, on, on a Sunday? Before this could happen on a Sunday night, I had to learn how to deal with my mind enough to, to, to not hate myself on a Sunday afternoon. It's, it's a true story, isn't it? How many times did I deal with heavy, 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 heavy stuff because I allowed the enemy to come in and rent space in my mind? And oftentimes it was like, I just, I didn't do it good or I didn't say it right or whatever. It was a total performance mentality. Years ago, I got a hold of the fact that, that I didn't have to perform for God to accept me. Let me tell you, let me tell you something that I, that I just encountered not long ago. Because see, it just continues to unfold. You, you can't exhaust the love of God and the grace of God. If you think you've exa- if you think you know it, you don't know anything. Because his love, his grace, his mercy, his person, who he is, it's eternal. You can never, it's, it's searchably unsearchable. You'll never tap out the full resource of it. So we just keep walking with Jesus and having him continue to uh, develop us and, and help our understanding continue to increase. And about back in, I would say it was in July probably, for three weeks straight on Sunday morning, it was an 11-minute drive from my house to church. And for three weeks straight, I would get in my car and I'd just turn on some music or whatever, just worship. And for three weeks straight, I felt the pleasure 
and the approval of God. And I couldn't explain why. I couldn't understand why. In at least two of those Sundays, I just stood up and I said, man, I could just feel the, the pleasure and the approval of God. And they probably, the people probably weren't feeling it, but I was feeling it. I didn't really know what to do with it, to be honest with you. But it was, oh, it was good. It was really good. And, but internally, I was, de- I was dealing with something that I thought took place that didn't take, put, take place. And I thought it was going to hurt a relationship. And I was like, Kent, you screwed this thing up big time. And I was being really, really... I'm just vulnerable. I might be overly transparent, but that's just the way that I am. And I was, because I think people need to see an example if they want to know, oh, yeah, I deal with the same stuff, and you got you can overcame it. I can too. And I was just reeling in my mind. And then I kept feeling this, this the, the pleasure of God. Have you ever felt the pleasure of God? I mean, it's just the most wonderful thing. And I just kept feeling the pleasure of God. And I just, it was like his approval of me. And I said, finally, after a while, I was like, well, thank you, but w- what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And it was happening between Sundays, but it was very specific. Sunday mornings, for three weeks in a row, I was, I was sensing this. And the Lord said, I'm showing you my best when you feel like you're at your worst. And I was like, whoa. I know that may not sound overly profound, because you're like, yeah, that's what the love of God does. But when you experience it on another level, when you really are at your worst, when you're hating on yourself, and I had time years ago where it wasn't just disapproval of me, it was self-hatred of me. I hated myself. Literally, I hated myself. I wanted to either be somebody else or be gone altogether. That's how, that's how I thought about me. To say that I didn't really know who I was as a son of God is an understatement. Now, I had some revelation, and I've had revelation, and it's continued to grow. But as I've continued to get out of the way and lay myself down, God continues to reveal new layers and levels of just how much he loves me and how much I am really established in his kingdom as a son of God. And so... I felt this, this approval, and when I did, I asked the Lord, I said, why are you showing me this? And he said, I'm showing you my best when you feel like you're at your worst. And then he said, Kent, he said, if I approve of you, who are you to disapprove of you? And it, it broke that cycle in my thinking. It just, I mean, it just broke it. It was just Boom, just, it was over. It was done. It was done. And Liz is like, ah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you just go through stuff. You, you just deal with stuff. I, I'll never pretend to be some kind of superhero because I'm not. But I'm just super in love with Jesus, and I'm super excited about the fact that after all of these years, he still loves me. He even likes me. You don't like you, probably. If we could see an honest show of hands, the most, the majority of you in here would say, I really don't like me. That's a form of disapproval. And who are you to disapprove of God's kid? I mean, no shame, but really, who are you? If God says you're, you're his son, his daughter, he considers you royalty. The reason this is so hard for us to comprehend sometimes is because we look too much in the natural and we don't see what he's really given us spiritually. Spiritually, you are dynamite. You're incredible. You're on the top. You're the, you're the best because you belong to God. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.